Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. After 12 years in the jewelry business, Barbara Davis finally surrendered to the muse, leaving the corporate world behind to pursue her lifelong dream of becoming a writer. She was born in New Jersey and lives in Florida with her husband, Tom. She is the author of eight best-selling novels in the area of women's fiction. She's including her most recent novel, The Keeper of Happy Endings, and her next novel is coming out next spring called The Echo of Old Books. I am so excited to share my storyteller microphone with Barbara Davis. I'm so happy to be here. Very excited. Barbara, thanks so much for being here because there's so much to talk about with you, not only your eight books, but you are a force in our author world. You are very likable. You're very personable. You're very generous. And, you know, I'll just continue to say fabulous things about you. But you also don't shy away in any of your books from some pretty tough subjects. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, I, if you're, when you get to my, to be my age, you've kind of seen a lot of things and you've gone through a lot of things and your friends have gone through a lot of things. And it's, it seems like, you know, you've earned the right to kind of point where you'd like people to look. So I, I don't shy. I, at first I did shy away. And then I said, what the heck, if you're going to do this, do this. Your characters are very relatable. And I think that is something that all of us as authors try to accomplish, right? That relatable character, even though they're flawed. So could you talk a little bit about flawed characters? I love writing about flawed characters because that's where the story is. I mean, yeah, you love to just kibitz with the the lady next door and, you know, share coffee or whatever. But how much more interesting is it to sit down and really dig into someone's story and find out how they they um, climbed through and over and, and, you know, met obstacles and came out the other side. So I love being able to explore where a character starts, how they got there, the mess they're in now, and then what they finally, eventually, hopefully figure out they must do to get to the other side of their, their particular crisis. So you're going to have about nine books out, I think, in a course of about 10 years. How are you that prolific besides working incredibly hard? Maybe that's the answer. I, I do. Uh, I write probably 10 to 12 hours a day, five days a week, sometimes oh. more. Depends on if I'm on deadline or stuck. Um, so and I just I just love it. And I've done a lot of things in my life and nothing has ever uh, brought me the joy that this does. This is, this was always what I wanted to do, but you know, you have to make a living. So you do all of those other things. And when I, all I said was, all I want to do is be able to make a living writing books. I don't want to get rich. I just want to do what I love. So when I got the opportunity to actually do it, I decided, you know, I, like I, I've said before, I will work until my brain falls out of my head in order to be able to get to do this. As long as the ideas keep coming, thank you, Muse, um, I will I will keep writing them down. Where do the ideas come from? 
I wish I knew um, because I'm terrified that one day they'll stop coming and I'll have to go look for them and I won't know where to look. Um, almost all of my ideas have sort of hit me in the head sort of as whole cloth. The idea will not be there one minute and then whoosh, it is there in my head almost fully formed. I mean, I have to, you know, write the ins and outs of it and make it all mechanically work. But I sort of know the beginning, middle, and a bit of the end. And I don't know where it comes from. I'll be riding down the street and a song will come on and it triggers something. Uh, my, when never comes, landed in my head while I was cleaning the toilet. Um, like really fully formed. I was like, holy cow. It was there and I had to stop and go fill up uh, two legal pads with the idea because I was afraid it would get away. So I don't know. I just hope it keeps happening. <laughs> oh, and we all hope it keeps happening with, you know, eight bestsellers, nine bestsellers. There are two things, and I'm, I've just got to stop though for a minute on the when never comes. You know, you were cleaning the toilet and there's that whole scene in the beginning of the book with the water and the running off the road. So yeah. <laughs> yes, and that's, I have a, um, a, a kind of a deep-seated fear of drowning, of going off a bridge in a car and being trapped. So for me to have written, my husband was stunned that I could have written that. Um, and I don't know where it came from, but it, like I said, it was just there. There was a dead woman and I knew how she died and I knew who she was with. It was just, it's, it's sort of eerie when it happens. It sort of makes your hair stand up. You're like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> and that sounds like something that cannot be taught. The mechanics maybe, but that getting that muse and then seeing it is truly a gift. For yes. which I'm it, well, it's, it's a gift to me from on high somewhere. And uh, like I said, I, I hope it never stops happening. There are several things that I'm very drawn to in your writing. One is... I love the way you set the stage with a prologue or I, I'm not sure if they all have prologues. Sometimes it's something that happened earlier and then we come back, which I guess is still a prologue. But I love the way you set the stage with prologue. Why is that a device that you like? Uh, I, I love this question so much. I, I All of my books do have prologues, every single one. Um, to me... You know, and there's a lot of, of thought was, oh, don't never open with a prologue. It delays, whatever. For me, a prologue is a promise I make to my readers. Here is something you need to know. Here's a little teaser, a little bite of what's coming later. You won't get it in the first couple of chapters, but bookmark this because you're going to know, you're going to need to know why it plays into the story. So just hang on, put this in the back of your mind and wait till you need it later. So it's a promise. And then I try in all of my books to bring the whole promise full circle. And they all have an, if I write a prologue, I'm going to have an epilogue to tie it up. I love to, to bring things full circle. But for me, a prologue is a promise that you may not see what's coming yet, but here's a little glimpse, you know, of, of what it's like a flash forward kind of thing or a flash flash way back that leads to a flash forward. I love that. I had not thought about it as a promise. So I, I'm going to steal that in future interviews. But I, prologues get a bad rap, in my opinion. If you do a prologue well and you think of it as a promise, you understand what you're what you're promising the reader. I think it's a it's a gift to them. I, I love that. And I also think that it's a great, for me, I, I'm a big prologue person. I like it because it's also the hook. It's like, yeah. oh, here. 
here, here, get, come in, come read my story now. Right. Right. And it's not, it's not, you can't always jump into that part of the story because you either give something away or starting there out of context would, would jerk the reader around a little bit, but by just setting that there and it, you know, it's, it's the old adage, if a gun, if you, if there's a gun on the stage, it better go off. That's the gun. You place the gun on the stage when, you, when the, they read the first turn that first page, there's the gun. And you know, at some point, whatever that gun happens to be, it's going to go off. So that's the promise and the hook. So that was one of the things that I liked the whole way that you use the prologue. The other thing is, and I've never thought about doing this in my life. I hear your characters so clearly. You have a cadence, it seems, to every character. And I've never thought about, like, I want to be an audio artist. I want to read out loud Barbara Davis's novels. Do you plan that? Um, it's, it's sort of organic. It's not, I won't say it's necessarily planned, but it's a must. At some point that happens sort of organically as I come to know the character, but all of my writing, I'm a musical person. I, I grew up in music theater. So, and I sing and dance and all of that. So I, I have sort of this metronome in my head when I write, all of my writing has a cadence. And when I'm writing, I know immediately if it's off, if there's an extra beat or if there's a lack of a beat and I have to go in and fix that. So it, it's that cadence. I love that you pick up on that because it's so huge for me. And when I read a writer that has a very different cadence from me, I'm reading and I'm like rearranging the sentences or the dialogue or it's like, oh, you missed a beat there because that's what that's how I hear it. So how it comes to me with that cadence is how it eventually makes its way onto the page. I love that you picked that up. Oh, thank you. I was going to ask if you had a musical background because it is just there. You hear the beat. You can. Do you read your things out loud or does your husband, do. Tom, read them to you? Um, he only reads things that he doesn't understand. He's like, I'm going to read this and because I don't know what you're saying. So if he reads something aloud, it's not good. <laughs> it's because okay. I don't make any sense. Um, but I do read at certain points. I do read aloud. Because it just, it helps me feel those beats. Yeah, I, I love that. So, and I'm so glad I picked up on it because you wanted it there and we didn't even talk about it. Uh, so talk to us about, well, I, you know, before we talk about uh, the book that we really want to talk about, The Keeper of Happy Endings, I want to go back to your not shying away from tough things. In The Lost Moon Girls, we open up and there are dead girls in a car. That yeah. just came to you? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Um, I, I knew I always knew I wanted to write a book that was on an herb farm, a lavender farm, but I didn't have the story. So that was sort of bookmarked in the back of my head that someday an idea would come to me. And one day I was driving down the street. I was on my way to go Christmas shopping and I get a picture of dead girls in my head. It's kind of weird. But I was playing a tape, a, a CD by Seven Mary Three, and there was a song called Water's Edge. And it's about a young boy who witnesses a murder. And because he's afraid, he never, he doesn't say anything to stop it. He doesn't say anything about who did it. He just, all these years later, he's remembering that he didn't do anything. Um, and I was listening to it and I was like, oh my goodness, there's the story. You turn back to the house legal pad, write it down. 
So let's switch now to your latest book, not the one that's going to come out, but The Keeper of Happy Endings. So many things to talk about in that, including an incredible happy ending that's going, we'll share with our audience. So tell us first about the book. Um, okay, the book is, uh, it's a dual timeline. Most of my books are dual timeline because I, I, in my life, I have learned that the past always informs the present. You are who you are because of what you went through. The people around you are who they are because of what they've been through. So I love to marry that the old history with the new history. Sometimes it's true historical and that it wraps around a war, but sometimes it's just a family history. In this book, it happens to be a little of both. There's the, the World War II. We're on the eve of the, um, the Nazi, Nazi occupation of Paris. Uh, and then the other half of the book is set in Boston in 1984. And it's about um, a dressmaker in Paris, very young, she, she's from a family of dressmakers. They make bridal dresses. And the, the, um, the whisper is about Paris is that a Roussel gown is, is a guarantee of a happy ending. So if you manage to get your foot in the door at this very offbeat kind of uh, bridal salon, you're guaranteed a happy ending. Uh, so the only problem is none of the women in this family manage to find happy endings of their own. It's just one disaster after the other. And they're sort of not allowed love. They're, they, it's something they do for other people. And then on the other end is this young woman who has just, um, she's sort of floating around. Her fiance has just disappeared. He's a, doc, a doctor with um, Doctors Without Borders and he's just gone missing. He's been missing for about six, six months, I think. And she's sort of lost. She was going to open an art gallery and when her fiance went missing, just, she just lost track and lost her way. And these two women, years, years after the occupation, and this woman has lost everything, literally everything, because of this Nazi occupation. She finds her way to Boston, and these two very different women, generations apart, sort of wind up entangled in, in several different ways, but in ways that bring healing to both of them. The Keeper of Happy Endings, which has an incredible happy ending. You have great news to share with our listeners. I do. I'm very excited. I just found out just a very short time ago, uh, after about eight months of negotiations, The Keeper of Happy Endings is officially being adapted for a Broadway, off-Broadway musical. So as someone with a background in musical theater myself, I couldn't have dreamt up a better cherry for my Sunday than, than that. So the muse delivered the story, but how does this next piece happen? Cause that's gotta be, you know, my book, I need it to be a Netflix series, but yours being on musical theater on Broadway, that's pretty magical and a perfect match for you. How does that happen? Um, I, again, a gift. I, I don't know. I opened my email one morning. My husband was out snow blowing the driveway we were still in new hampshire and i looked out i uh, looked at my email and there was a thing that said a friend gave me your book and i fell in love with it and i would very much like to discuss the possibility of a contract for adapting it as a musical and i'm like do what now i mean you know you always dream that hollywood is going to come calling i never in my life did i dream broadway would come calling so i'm thinking okay this guy's some kind of crackpot because uh, this stuff just doesn't happen. But I said, you know, whatever. I sent, I, I directed him toward my 
uh, agent. And I figured that was the last I would, I would hear of it. And lo and behold, about an hour later, she's like, this guy's serious. It's a heart attack. And he's like an Emmy nominated guy. And he's serious. He wants to do this. And I'm like, okay, so what do we do? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> Neither one of us had a clue how to go about negotiating that kind of a contract. It's so different from a book. So we got an attorney that specializes in, in play, you know, plays and stage plays and, and that kind of thing. And just it, like, there was like this group dynamic trying to figure this all out. And it took about eight months to where we felt comfortable in it with what they wanted to do. And we signed the deal about a week ago. So. And now how does that unfold? We know like when we sign a book deal, it could be two years before somebody can actually yeah. hold your book. So how does this next step unfold? Uh, well, there are four, uh, again, a learning process for me. What I do know sure. now, <laughs> it, I'll keep you posted. Uh, what I do know now is there are four, um, what they call milestones, at which time they have to provide me with X. I think the first milestone is they need to give me four scenes and two songs. And at that point, I can read it and go, this is wonderful. Let's keep going. Or I can say, no, no, this is bad. You can't. I, I'm pulling the plug. Uh, so there are four tranches where I'm involved. I'll be involved in some of the read-ins and, and all of that stuff. But largely, I sit back now at this point and wait for it to unfold. And then when I get to see what where they are, I get to say, I like this and I don't like, or I don't like this. And, you know, they'll take, you know, I don't, I'm not like the diva that's going to come in there and say, no, no, this is wrong. Cause I don't know. I mean, I, I was always on the singing and dancing end of it. So this is also a learning curve for me and fun because I've never been on this end of it. So that, it's like a whole different language. I was like, I don't know what any of these words mean. <laughs> We're looking things up and calling each other back. But um, these are two wonderful. I, I'm. Uh, it's a part partnership. It is the uh, the score writer and then the actual stage play writer uh, are are both in on it. So I've I've got on a conference call with both of them and got to talk through some of their ideas. And I'm I'm just really thrilled and excited to see what they come up with, which plot points in the book they hit on for songs and things. So it's, it's so exciting. And, you know, we are women of a certain age and that is something that I love that we continue to learn. So I would be thrilled on the one hand that this was happening to me, but I'd also be, wow, who knew that that happens? And yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, I'm sure a lot of it will be forgotten by a bunch of people because it's it's going to take years. They have to write the score. They have to write the stage play. Then they have to hold, cast it. Then they have to audition. They have to book venues. They have to test market it. Then they tweak it. Then they build sets. And it's just, there's tons of, you know, and all I know is the part where I got the part and I went out there to rehearsals and did it. All that stuff that came before, I was not privy to. So now I get kind of a peek at that which will so, be fun are and you, <laughs> are you one of the characters do you get to play one of your characters no that was the first thing my husband asked is are you going to sing in it i'm like uh, no i'm a little old <laughs> a little old for that no but we get backstage passes and opening night blah 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 so oh, i would i would assume so so wonderful to be warranted 
<laughs> so let's, that's just such fabulous news and we're so excited. Let's switch just to a minute to the author community. There are two other things that really impressed me in The Keeper of Happy Endings and they had absolutely nothing to do with your story. The first was your dedication, which was to the healthcare workers. Yes. Such a beautiful nod at a time where uh, they have been our heroes. And then the other part is because I'm a book nerd and I'm an author, I actually read every single page. I probably don't read the ISBN number, but I pretty much I read everything else. I loved that you thank the author community. And in your last book, you thank Susan Peterson, Annie McDonald, Denise Burt, Linda Zagan, Lainey Cameron, Patricia Sands, Betty Lee Crosby, and so many people that we have really become a community in these last few years. And I feel very humbled to be a small part of knowing each of those. Talk to me for just a minute before we go on the importance of the author community to you. Well, um, I was 50 when I signed my first book deal. And I was with a different publisher. I'm with Lake Union now, and I was with Penguin then. And they sort of throw you into the deep end of the pool. You know, here's your cover, here's your release date, and boom, it's out there. And then I I had no earthly idea how important it was to be part of a community. It's not an automatic thing. Your book gets them and everyone flocks to your door. It doesn't work like that. You, you as the song says, you got to have friends. And it's quite awkward when you, no one knows you, no one wants to take a chance on you. They don't want to step out in faith and say, oh, read this book because what if it's awful? Uh, so it's, it's, I will never forget the first kindnesses that were uh, extended to me by other authors. Barbara Claypole White, just an absolutely wonderful friend, wonderful writer, wonderful human being. Just And she was so solid for me. Um, and then Diane Chamberlain, who has been my mentor before she knew who I was, because I studied her books like like textbooks because she just writes such wonderful books. Uh, so when I approached her for a blurb, which is just the God awfulest thing you have to do, even now it's still awkward. Um, she didn't know who I was, but she said, I'm, I'm completely booked up right now, but what I will do is I will read your book. And if I enjoy it, I will, share the, your book on my social media pages. I will put it in my newsletter. I will put it in, you know, I will, you know, shout it to the, and she did not knowing at all who I was or anything. She just, and you know, people at her level just get bombarded. Yeah. She was just so gracious to the point where I used to, when I was, uh, used to dream about writing before I was ever anywhere near thinking it would happen. I used to dream of what it would be like to go to one of her book readings and meet her in person. And then it happened when we moved to Raleigh, I got to meet her in person and she signed my books and I was fangirling all over the place. <laughs> and after that happened, then I actually got started in the business myself. I thought, okay, now my new, my new um, envisionment is going to be me at a reading of my own and she's in the audience. I'm like, yeah, right, that'll happen. Well, it did finally happen. I think it was my third book. I looked out, I walked out on the, to the little podium thing and there she was in the first row. Fabulous. I started my little talk and I burst into tears. <laughs> oh, 
Well, you are such a fabulous corporate citizen, a bookish citizen. Barbara Davis, thank you for being with me here on The Storytellers. It has been my pleasure. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Thanks for being with us. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.